I want to thank our musicians for the uh, music they provide us and uh, the, rich, uh, the rich truth of all those lyrics. I, I find myself wanting to start scribbling things in hymn books and uh, put that, that information back into the sermon. We might get there, but um, just what a, what a joyful morning we've had so far, and we appreciate Noah and his uh, <clears throat> clarity during Sunday school. Um, you know, we exalt Christ here at Community Bible Church, and and that'll lead into the beginning of my message this morning. Um, last time we examined the question of who is Jesus, and we looked at John chapter 1, verse 1. We will be back there in John today, but uh, just as a, as a point, I'd like to just spend a few minutes pointing out the fact that we stress Jesus Christ uh, here at Community Bible Church. We are committed to the glory and exaltation of Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us through the morning, you've seen that. You've seen that uh, in Noah's uh, uh, lesson this morning, uh, through the music, uh, the way that we conduct things. Uh, Christ is our all in all. Uh, why do we do that? Why do we uh, put Christ first in all of these things? Uh, that's not popular these days. Uh, it's not cool to focus so much on Jesus Uh, It's definitely not cool to talk about sin and depravity, sacrifice, blood, atonement. Uh, These are themes that we stress here, uh, but you don't see those things in a lot of of the church these days, sadly. Another question is, uh, why is it so important to be accurate about Jesus? Um, the, The concern with being accurate about Jesus is because if you believe in a false Jesus, you are damned. If you fail to love the true Jesus, you are cursed, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so we make Christ and accuracy in Christ a priority. False religions, for example, give us a misrepresentation of the true Jesus. They don't have to deny that He exists. They don't have to deny that He is even divine in order to accomplish this subtle lie of Satan. They just need to present a different Jesus than the perfect, righteous, and true, divine, truly man member of the Godhead. Uh, We see that uh, played out in our culture. Uh, We see caricatures of Jesus throughout our culture. Uh, Recently, I saw the, uh, perhaps you've seen this, the Jesus meme uh, where it has a, uh, a Jesus kind of leaning around the side as if he looked into you and, and saw what you were doing, and the phrase is, I saw that, as if Jesus is some kind of uh, little genie or, uh, or a little leprechaun or little, little Jiminy Cricket that keeps track of you. Uh, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, we've, we've spoken at length and aired our frustration and our grievances about our culture call, referring to Jesus as a Jedi, or as a superhero, uh, but also Jesus is not a joke. He is not the butt of our jokes. He is not a caricature. He is not an image for a meme uh, to be silly and, and foolish. Uh, and, and real believers don't make jokes about Jesus. Real believers do not make Jesus uh, the butt of our jokes. Real believers have thoughts that should include nothing short of deep reverence for Jesus Christ. If you are united with Christ, then He is the supreme focus of your thoughts. And if you derive, and you derive great joy, comfort, and contentment from knowing Him and thinking about Him. As Colossians 3, 
verse 2 reminds us to set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. So Jesus should be the constant focus of our minds. And we must think accurately about Jesus. We must think biblically about Jesus because Christianity is a thinking man's religion. We hear that all the time. We are thinkers and we are called to be thinkers. Scripture calls us to that. So we here at Community Bible Church are committed to the glory and exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's our focus, our emphasis, our constant concern is to magnify and emphasize Him. We maintain that emphasis because that is the emphasis of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we don't unhitch from the Old Testament because the Old Testament is God's Word. Christ is found in the Old Testament Jesus affirmed the importance of the Old Testament in the passage that we read this morning from John chapter 5, where he said, these things testify of me. So we we stand boldly and firmly on God's word, the Bible. We maintain a high view of Scripture. We look at it as the final authority for everything involving faith and life. So today we will return to the gospel according to John. The last time we looked at the first verse of the book, that great verse that hearkens our thoughts to the first verse of Holy Scripture, the first verse of the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And last time I asked a foundational and an important question, indeed a life-changing question that every person must wrestle with, every person must answer, who do you say that Jesus is? We looked at Peter's answer to that question from Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. Peter's response was, you are the Christ. And the Apostle John answers that question for us throughout his gospel, throughout his gospel account. He tells us who Jesus is and what Jesus said about himself. He gives us several examples of the myriad of miracles that Jesus performed. John gives us an account of the statements that Jesus made about himself. One example is the I am statements contained throughout the book of John. Jesus said, I am the bread of life in chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, also in chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14. And I am the true vine, chapter 15. We see that that I am phrase recurring because Jesus is reminding his Jewish audience, uh, the Jewish people who he was speaking to, of that great I am statement from Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, who should I tell, who should I tell them is sending me? And, G- and God says to Moses, I am who I am. Jesus' Jesus's clear claim of deity was clear to his Jewish audience. They picked up stones to stone him, as we will see at some point in the future, at the end of John chapter 8. And as we read this morning in John chapter 5, they were angry with him because he was making himself out to be equal with God. Well, let's turn to John chapter 20, verse 31. Actually, we're going to jump ahead in uh, John. (laughs) Go to John chapter 20, verse 31, because we just want to be reminded of some of these things.
John chapter 20, we see at the end of his gospel account, uh, John reminds us of his uh, intention for writing this book. And I want to read this explicitly because it is important. Actually, go to verse uh, 30, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So we, uh, we have another question. Why do we or how do we know that we can trust John's eyewitness account? How do we know that we can trust John? Well, it was an eyewitness account. If you recall from 1 John chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but uh, I will read it. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. We've read that passage so many times as uh, all three of us, Joel, Dell, and myself, have been uh, working with uh, the Apostle John. As, the, as an apostle and as a disciple of Jesus Christ, John saw the real Jesus day in and day out. He saw the miracles. He heard Jesus testify about himself. He was present at the transfiguration, at the crucifixion, and at the ascension. We also can trust John because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this account for us. I'll remind you of a great verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. So as we, uh, as we read uh, from 1 John, let me continue there. Okay, why did John write this? From 1 John chapter 1. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John reveals his purpose here, so that you may have fellowship with us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John wants his readers to understand the truth of who Jesus really is. John was there when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? Jesus was there to hear Peter's definitive response, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, uh, we, we, talked about that. we talked about that question again, that foundational question from Matthew chapter 16. Who do you say that I am? And Peter say, Peter's response, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what John is trying to accomplish in his gospel. The gospel, according to John, uh, he is trying to help us understand uh, what that really is. <clears throat> if you ask people uh, this simple question, what is the gospel? Uh, you may get a variety of different responses. And sadly, even among evangelicals, you'll get incorrect or wrong responses. You'll get responses that have something to do with your merit or my merit 
something to do with doing good works uh, or adding something to faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but the answer to the question, what is the gospel, is, is simple. Simply put, the gospel is the good news about Jesus' life and work. Now, it includes the fact that Jesus came to earth to seek and to save lost sinners, of which you and I are. But in very simple terms, the gospel is the good news about Jesus' life and work. The gospel is not some good thoughts about how you can overcome your anger or anxiety. It's not recommendations for how you can live better or be more faithful in your devotions or think more positively about yourself. And for crying out loud, it's not Jesus jelly. The gospel is not that Jesus is a superhero or that you can get free movie tickets by coming to church. <clears throat> and the gospel is not free cinnamon rolls or, as someone recently told me, the offer of homemade apple pies for coming to church. The gospel is the good news about Jesus' life and work. We cannot understand the gospel unless we understand our predicament, and our predicament is guilt. You and I have a sin dilemma that we must deal with. We are guilty of rebellion against the thrice holy God. We are guilty of cosmic treason, and we need a Savior to save us from our sin. But who can save us? Who will save us? Can we save ourselves? Indeed, we cannot save ourselves because we are already tainted. We are already sinful. So who will pay the penalty for our sin? The answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the good news. He is the Redeemer who comes to save us and restore us to God. And John's purpose is to present Him to us. So please listen carefully. If you are in Christ, then revel in these truths. If you do not know Christ, then listen to what John has to say. Let's return to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> and we'll review that first verse, and then today we'll get into the second verse, and maybe we'll get into the third verse. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <clears throat> From the very first verse, John sets up the foundation of Jesus' salvation work. Jesus' deity is the foundation of that work. And we see John laying out those truths in John chapter 1, in the prologue, verses 1 through 18. Part of that is also the covenant of salvation, that great pactum salutis that we speak often of here at Community Bible Church, and we understand in a covenantal context from Scripture. But from this, from this first verse, we see John uh, uh, reminding us of the first verse of the Pentateuch, the first verse uh, written in Scripture, uh, written down by Moses, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, John tells us here, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Last time I preached on this, we talked about the logos, that word that John um, commandeers from Greek culture. That word to the Greeks meant uh, they understood that this word indicated some kind of mystical or all-powerful life force in the universe. Kind of sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? <clears throat> but John is not using this in a flippant way, nor is he offering some metaphysical abstraction 
or a poetic personification. You know, the, the, the floofy stuff, okay? John's not getting into floofy stuff or new age stuff. He is simply proclaiming a veritable, real person, the person of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing that John, uh, <clears throat> I think I use the word commandeers, he commandeers that word logos uh, from, the, from Greek culture. And at some point we might uh, circle back to that and get more into the history of, uh, of, of how that word was used and understood to the Greeks. But to the Jews, the Jews also understood the word logos in context of the Old Testament. When God created, it was by his word. When God commanded, it was by his word. And when God reveals himself to, to the Jews, it was by his word. One of the great benefits of the incarnation, as we will see, is God reveals himself in the Son. Well, let's look at that now. Skip over to verse 18 of the prologue in John chapter 1. <clears throat> verse 18 no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. <clears throat> now, that word that says he has explained him, that we get our word exegesis from that same word. And if you've been around these parts long enough, you've probably heard that word, exegesis. It simply is the idea that we explain and interpret Scripture. We find the meaning in it and take it meaning out of it based on uh, um, scholarship and theology and, uh, and historical evidence uh, that the church has provided through the years. Uh, we don't eisegete meaning into the text. We exegete the meaning from the text. Our purpose with that is to discover what God intended to say to us and then to understand that uh, and believe it and live it out. But without Jesus, without, without Christ coming into the world, we have no chance to know anything about the Father. <clears throat> the rest of verse 1 talks about Jesus being with God and Jesus being, he was God. Uh, the Son is not who the Father is, but he is what the Father is. His person is distinct, but his essence is entirely identical. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as God. John chapter 20, Romans chapter 9, Philippians chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, etc. <clears throat> so this brings us to a fundamental truth that we're going to uh, recall from verse 1. We're still on this fundamental truth, this idea that Jesus is fully God. He is truly God. He is fully and truly divine. Jesus has a personal distinction within the Godhead, and He is God. He is included in the Godhead along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is of one substance with God, and He has the same divine essence as God the Father has, and yet the essence is undivided. <clears throat> We're speaking here of the Trinity, okay, and that's an important, uh, that's an important doctrine to understand. Uh, we had a whole conference on the Trinity here a while ago. Um, that's important, as we'll see in a few minutes, as we talk about uh, some of the uh, divinity deniers. But Jesus is not a hippie or a radical teacher or the head of a new movement. There was a, I, I can't remember the movie that came out this, I think it was this past summer uh, or, or within the past year, but uh, it presents Jesus as, or, or it talks about a pastor in California, the hippie movement and all that. Um, I haven't seen it. I don't recall the name of the movie, but it's kind of silly because it's presenting, we have this idea of a, of a countercultural sentimentality. 
and, and Jesus as some type of hippie. Uh, that's, blasphem- that's blasphemous. And, and sadly, many so-called believers buy into these lies. Many so-called believers in the evangelical church have been led astray with these types of caricatures of Jesus as a love and peace hippie. It's blasphemous. It, it does not reveal the Jesus that is revealed to us in the Old and New Testament. <clears throat> well, another point about Jesus being fully God and fully human, uh, fully God in, in that sense, Jesus has all of the divine attributes. Uh, Jesus is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. When you see Jesus, you see God. And Jesus reminds his disciples of this in John chapter 14, verse 9, when he told them, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So when you have Jesus, you have the Father. If we go back to 1 John chapter 2, as Pastor Joel was reminding us, 1 John chapter 2, whoever has the Son has the Father. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot know God without Jesus. You cannot love one without loving the other. And conversely, if you hate one, you are also hating the other. If you are rebellious toward one, you are being rebellious toward the other. <clears throat> well, that's a little bit about John chapter, or the, the first verse. Now let's move on to verse 2 in John chapter 1, okay? <clears throat> because it, it's just a reiteration of what verse 1 said. John chapter 1, verse 2 he was in the beginning with God. Now, why does John reiterate that Jesus was in the beginning? He already said Jesus was in the beginning, but he reiterates it again. Well, because he has to, he has to have been from forever to be God, and this is important to reiterate. John's a good teacher. We've seen that before. John circles back uh, often in his, uh, in his gospel account and in his epistles. He's always coming back and building a foundation, building a precept. He comes back and circles back and reminds us of that. <clears throat> and here he reminds us that he was in the beginning, he, Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God. That's important because Jesus has to have been from the beginning forever in order to be God. Together, verses 1 and 2 comprise an emphatic and unequivocal affirmation of Jesus Christ's full deity, full divinity. This is John's thesis, and he spends the next 21 chapters developing this thesis. <clears throat> well, let's, let's, uh, we're going to move into a, move a, just pause for a second, for a few minutes, and move into Uh, a discussion and and unpack this idea about Jesus's uh, divinity and humanity, because that's important. And as I'll get to, uh, there are many divinity deniers, is what I call them. Uh, Jesus is always presented throughout Scripture as being fully human and fully divine. Scripture never indicates that Jesus gave up his divinity. And I will share with you a pastor, a, a direct quote from an evangelical quote-unquote pastor, uh, who says some things contrary to that. Scripture never indicates that Jesus gave up his divinity. Scripture joins together the truths of Jesus' full deity and his full humanity. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 1 to see what we mean by this. John chapter 1, verse 14, those first five simple words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
<clears throat> and the Word, that's divine, became flesh, that's human. John does not say that the Word stopped being the Word, okay? That's important. John never says, and Scripture never indicates, that Jesus at some point stopped being divine. <clears throat> the Word that always was took on flesh and became a man. He is, in fact, simultaneously fully God and fully human. He possesses two distinct and complete natures. In theological terms, we call this the hypostatic union. Jesus uh, maintains uh, two uh, distinct uh, and complete natures. Consider Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. You'll know it as soon as I say it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For unto us a child is born, that's human. Unto us a son is given, that's the divine. The human child and the divine son. <clears throat> or consider Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He was a descendant of David, that's a man, according to the flesh, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, that's God, by his resurrection. Consider Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. <clears throat> so scripture puts the truths of Jesus' full deity and his true humanity together. Consider the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Now, it's not inspired, but it's helpful to develop our Christology, and we affirm uh, this document here at Community Bible Church. And it's important, too, that you have a solid grounding in your Christology in order to understand all of the other ologies, okay? You won't understand uh, um, uh, eschatology or soteriology or any of the ologies, unless you understand and have a correct and a proper Christology. You'll have a mess is what you'll have, and you'll have cults and false religions. <clears throat> Let me read from chapter 8 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and if you don't have a copy, um, I don't know if we had these uh, on the book table, but you can, uh, you can find it. It's, it's easy to find. From chapter 8, paragraph 2, <clears throat> The Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity... Being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, and we'll get into that in a, in a, in a future sermon, the, the light, he is the light of life, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures. So that the two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. 
Let me read that last portion again, and this, this would be a good phrase to commit to memory. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? So when you hear us talk about very God and very man, that's the Jesus Christ that we're speaking of. <clears throat> Divinity deniers were prevalent, though, in, Je in Jesus' day, and they crept into the church to confuse and sow their heresy among those in the visible church. We see that throughout the, Old, throughout the New Testament. We see uh, the apostles warning us of false teachers. <clears throat> and John uh, was wise correct and inspired uh, to be wary of the deceivers and the false teachers. He warns us of them and their tactics in 2 John verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, refusing to confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. So the church spent hundreds of years and several church councils fighting heretical teachings about Jesus. That's where we get the, uh, the Nicene Creed and the, um, the council, uh, um, Chalcedon and other councils. Uh, those things didn't just uh, happen for <clears throat> some silly random reason just to get together to, you know, visit the Hyatt and, you know, swim in the pool. Um, they, they had a purpose uh, to those things, and it was to, um, it was to refute and... and refute uh, heretical teachings. Uh, church councils through the ages took up these claims about Jesus, these heretical claims, to compare them to Scripture and ultimately refute them. <clears throat> and we have a rich history of creeds and confessions uh, in, the Christian, uh, in the Christian church, and yet we have heretics today uh, still spreading these lies. <clears throat> In the old days, I used, to watch John, or I used to watch Channel 17. I think John speaks of that. I think Noah does the same thing, and some of you other guys probably did, uh, <laughs> kind of for an entertainment purpose, but um, we don't have Channel 17 anymore. It's something else now. It's infomercials, but, uh, so we have to go to YouTube and other places to, uh, to see these things. But um, <clears throat> there was, uh, I'll share one specific example uh, for the sake of time, from the evangelical world. I just, I just saw this a few weeks ago. Uh, Justin Peters, if you're familiar with him, he, um, you know, exposes heretical teachings and, and pre presents a scriptural perspective uh, as he breaks down a video. But uh, one guy that he, uh, uh, that he uh, showed and talked about on his uh, YouTube channel uh, was, uh, from the evangelical world, a uh, mega pastor named Robert Morris, he preaches at a mega church in the Dallas area called Gateway Church. Now, here's a direct quote from Robert Morris, okay? And I'll read it twice, and I double-checked it twice to make sure this was actually what I was hearing. <clears throat> Robert Morris says, He, Jesus, completely laid down his divinity when he was on this earth so he could be fully human. Let me say that again, okay? Robert Morris said he, referring to Jesus, completely laid down his divinity when he was on this earth so he could be fully human. Folks, this is egregious. Scripture nowhere teaches us this. And these are the things that we must be weary of and very careful. Uh, scripture never t says that Jesus laid down his divinity. Uh, he always was and always will be divine. These heretical teachings are really doctrines of demons, and we shouldn't be surprised that it happens. 
but 1 Timothy chapter 4 reminds us of that, to be wary of doctors of de- doctrines of demons. Robert Morris's website boasts an attendance estimate, get this, of 100,000 people each week at Gateway's main campus and, uh, and nine satellite locations. 100,000 people a week are hearing these types of things about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And many thousands are being led astray, sadly. Well, John is clear in what he writes. He knows that deceivers will come and work against these truths. He had spent years dealing with the detractors, the divinity deniers. Uh, There are still divinity deniers today, those who hate Jesus Christ and malign his majesty. John was dealing with them in the first century, and we must deal with them today. For the sake of time, we won't mention or go into too much detail about others like uh, Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes, who denies the Trinity. T.D. Jakes is a modalist. He says that that God uh, manifests himself in different modes in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, We've talked about Mormonism a lot and what they teach. Jesus was created by God the Father, and God the Father himself had once been a man on another planet and was promoted to be a god. Uh, Mormons teach that God the Father is married to another deity named Heavenly Mother, and at some point, Jesus and his brother Satan were born into this world, okay? That's what's going on. <clears throat> Jehovah's Witnesses, more bad theology there. Uh, Jesus was simply a created being. And like I said, Joel Osteen doesn't even know what he is, okay? He's rich. That's what he is. He's rich. Other than that, he's, he's uh, terribly poor as far as his theology about Christ. All right, well, that was a good introduction. Let's move into verse 3 for today, okay? Uh, We're going to move on to verse 3. We'll just get into this a little bit because we could spend weeks in verse 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Think about that. Think about where John is right now as he's giving us, he just gave us in the beginning in verse 1. John is thinking in terms of Genesis chapter 1. He's thinking in terms of uh, God the creator. Uh, And this is where his mind is. This is where he wants us to be in our thinking. And understand also that John understands what Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says. In terms of the Trinity, let us make man in our image. So John now declares that all things came into being through him, through the Word. John presents Jesus as the pre existing Logos in verse 1, and then he declares Jesus to be the creator of the world in verse 3. Jesus must be divine in order to create, and to create means that he is divine. So do you see these things happening in, uh, in John chapter 1? You can't get around this clause. Uh, there is no way to unravel the truth that Scripture declares here. Jesus created everything. You know, in the old days, if you were sending a telegraph, you might uh, say about uh, verse 3, all things came into being through him, stop, right? You might say that, and the person would get the idea. Okay, all things came into being through him. You're making this claim that Jesus created everything. 
But just to make sure that there is no room for error, John repeats this idea again in this last phrase of the verse. John Calvin notes about this uh, intentional redundancy regarding this last phrase. Uh, This is not a faulty redundancy, as it appears to be. For as Satan endeavors by every possible method to take anything from Christ, the evangelist intended to declare expressly that of those things which have been made, there is no exception whatever. So what John Calvin is getting at, he's reminding us about John's purposeful clarity. John leaves no room for error or confusion in this statement. John ensures that he has encompassed everything as part of, God, of Christ's uh, creative action. <clears throat> as I said, the one hymn this morning, hymn number 25, the words are just incredible. And I just wanted to read that verse again, the first verse of hymn number 25, the perfect wisdom of our God <clears throat> revealed in all the universe, all things created by His hand and held together at His command. We'll get into that Uh, in a few weeks, get into um, uh, Colossians chapter 1. We can't go back to Colossians, can we? (laughs) We'll find, there are other passages. He knows the mysteries of the sea, the secrets of the stars are his. He guides the planets on their way and turns the earth through another day. As our friend Sproul says, there are no maverick molecules. We have a, a sovereign God who Uh, created the universe and sustains the universe, as we will see in a few weeks. Well, I'm going to leave that there for now um, and and pause till the next time I have the opportunity to speak to you. But I just want to remind you of this, the importance of being able to answer that question, who is Jesus Christ? I hope that you are thinking in terms of he is the divine son of God, the truly God and truly man, God man, who created the earth. He created the universe. He created you and I. And if you don't know him, you must know him. You must turn to him and and know him as your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, John, for uh, this this great uh, account of Jesus and his life that John gives to us. We thank you for his clarity. We thank you for uh, his teaching style that just keeps coming back and making sure that there is... Uh, clarity in the things that he says. We prayed, Lord, that we would understand Jesus to be uh, the perfect God-man who he is and that we would uh, focus on these things, that we would set our mind on them and revel in the joy of knowing him. For those, Lord, that do not know Jesus as their Savior, we pray that you would, uh, that you would open their eyes to these truths as we continue to, uh, week in and week out, focus our attention on Jesus Christ. We thank you for his uh, work in creation, but we also thank you for his work in salvation for each of us who are united to him. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, send us out of this building uh, refreshed and joyful. Help us, Lord, this week to be salt and light uh, to those around us as we've been learning from Colossians chapter 4. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be joyful and, and revel in our salvation, Lord. And we pray that we would be doing the one another's Uh, to encourage and uplift each other as well. Thank you for this time, and thank you for your word, and thank you for our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.